when you think about the crypto ecosystem, there's 20,000 plus blockchains out there at the moment that causing separation. They're fragmented. And I look at the rest of the ecosystem as a whole and it doesn't exactly align with how I think humanity should evolve and how this should all unfold. Welcome to the Dream Out Loud family, where young entrepreneurs come to learn the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan T. Nelson, a former carpenter who created financial freedom by the age of 23 and have since spent my time traveling around the world living my dream life, inspiring, educating, and teaching other young people how they can do the same. Each and every week, I'll bring you the most epic guests who are going to share their stories, wisdom, tips and tricks on how they've been able to create a life by design. Here at Dream Out Loud, we're committed to helping inspire and educate you to be able to execute your full potential. Calling all dreamers from the east coast of Australia. I am coming to a city near you for a free in-person event called the Freedom Formula. Between the dates of November 13th and 19th, I'm going to be coming to the Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, Melbourne, and Sydney. At this event, you're going to learn the art of creating a life by design, one with more clarity, more freedom, and more purpose. It's time to end the day-to-day grind of just coming short of your business goals, your life goals, and being where you truly want to be. So register below before they're totally all gone. Click the link in the description of this episode and get a ticket in a city near you. And I cannot wait to see you at one of these cities. All right, guys. Today's guest is a serial entrepreneur, business owner, investor, and speaker. He's gone from being an electrician by trade. After years of working away from his family and friends, he decided to leave it and transition into finance. His latest investments in Bitcoin mining and renewable energy is set to list on the NASDAQ next year and is definitely one to keep an eye on. So please help me welcome the guy who went from being a worker on the farms down under here in Australia to now being an absolute expert in the field when it comes to crypto, private equity, finance, investments, my friend, Mr. Rowan Hill. Legend. Thanks for having us on, man. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Mate, I am fired up. Dude, I'm fired up to bring you on, actually, because I've known you for a while now, and I remember we first got talking, I met you at, like a, met you at a park, we were just chilling, no, it wasn't golf, we met at a park, it was someone's birthday, Chloe brought you, I think. Oh, and yeah, that was the acro yoga or something. Yeah, it was some yeah. weird shit, and then, and then we're just like chilling, and next minute you're telling me all this stuff about like numbers and crypto and this and BSB <laughs> and BTC and da 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 I'm like, what the fuck is this? And and then over the years, I've watched you just put deals and deals and deals and deals together. Like you're connected with just freaking everybody and anybody. You know, so it's really exciting. So I wanted to bring you on to help these guys get super educated in many things around crypto, many things about what you're doing right now and also what the hell is happening in the world right now and some things that we can maybe be thinking about to sell ourselves up in the future. Yeah, it's a, a definitely an interesting thing when you look at like crypto finance where the world's at right now and you could go we can go in so many different directions but i guess it all really started for me back in 2012 that was when i first got into the digital assets and crypto space had no idea about what it was back then but just took the leap of faith and trusted a mate who said to me in the crib room when i was working as an electrician said 
hey, you should get into Bitcoin. I was like, cool, okay, what's that? In 2012. Yeah, so I jumped oh, in mate. back then and, um, yeah, I learned the hard lesson early on though. I lost everything I had in 2014 and that put me in a position to dive down the rabbit hole to better understand how to put the recovery systems in place to ensure that if anything was to happen to me, my family or anything like that, that they would be able to access mm. my wealth and coins that I had. How did you lose it all? You Lost your codes or some shit? <laughs> I had a paper wallet and I was partying over in the US and essentially got pushed into a swimming pool and that phone that I had in my pocket wasn't backed up. So mm. as soon as I went to try and recover it, there's no recovery key there. And yeah, once you've lost your recovery key to a paper wallet, it's gone skis. Right. <laughs> Talk to us about that. So what's the difference? So if it's not, when you're saying paper wallet, you're talking about where the crypto is held on, right? Yeah, you've got a number of different wallets when it comes to where you can store digital assets. You've obviously got wallets online where a web apps. Like a Coinbase. And yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're exchanges. They're managed okay. by third parties. You've got hardware wallets where you've got trezors and yep. le- ledgers and things like that. Elliplals is which one that I use. Then you've got paper wallets, but you've got all different types. And back then it was fairly early in the piece and there's only a couple of options. And I happened to store a whole heap on a paper wallet. Right. Okay. That's some wild shit. So what would you recommend people do nowadays? Like you, they go move towards like the treasures and stuff? Yeah. Like at the moment, just looking at like from a regulatory standpoint, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, corruption and criminals within the industry. I mean, you look at like, if you go back in time and look at the nineties dot com bubble, that was 10 years where you've seen a lot of tech companies go through this big phase where those large amounts of money getting thrown at it. Then they had the big bust. Mm. where all the shit got wiped out and then only the companies that stood around were the ones that were robust and doing good and whatnot. So when you look at crypto, we've been around now, we're in our 12th year since like Bitcoin's been birthed and we've had so much corruption and criminals and Ponzi schemes and things like this that have eventuated. And a lot of the operators that have these large exchanges like Binance, they're laundering very large amounts of money that are from weapons, drugs, cartels, you name it. So when you look at a lot of these things, some of the safest place to store your digital assets is not on exchanges. It's actually in hardware wallets or in a safety deposit box in a hardware wallet in a bank or wherever else that you're wanting to store your asset, but just not on third parties. Mm. Let's dive into the old crypto space. I want to hear your side of it, okay? Because we've had people on the show as well that are so anti-crypto. So let's talk about why do you think people are anti-crypto and why are you so pro-crypto? It's an interesting question because I find I have a very polarizing perspective on it from being someone in the crypto space. I'm not one to say crypto and everyone should jump in. When I look at the industry as a whole, 99% of it is absolute bullshit. When you look at the problem Bitcoin solved in its uh, original protocol was the Byzantine generals rule. When you look at humanity and the history of humanity, Never in, t- in the history have we had a universal source of truth, an accurate time ledger where you can account from an accounting and record standpoint anywhere in the world what someone else is doing on a publicly auditable, verifiable ledger. So when you think about, I don't know if you've heard of Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff's the famous Ponzi guy who basically scammed investors out of hundreds of millions of dollars and essentially... He had multiple sets of books. He'd have one set of books for that investor, another set of books for that auditor, another set of books for that investor, and he'd basically just laundering money and basically just ripping people off. 
when you think about the crypto ecosystem, there's 20,000 plus blockchains out there at the moment that causing separation. They're very fragmented. You've got all these different silos of information with their separate records. So I'm pro Bitcoin in its original form of Bitcoin SV. And I look at the rest of the ecosystem as a whole and it doesn't exactly align with how I think humanity should evolve and how this should all unfold. Mm. Talk to us about that. So because you're, when you talk about Bitcoin, you're talking about a completely different Bitcoin to what nearly everybody else talks about. You're talking about BESV. Yeah, Bitcoin Satoshi Vision. <laughs> Talk to us about this. Well, I back in 20, I think it was late 16, 17, I went on a cruise and it was called Coins Bank. And this was before like crypto took off. I had this boat that went from Singapore to Malaysia to Thailand and back. I was among 250 people on this boat and I got to meet everyone who's anyone on the boat, like everyone from John McAfee, the Wink of Lost Brothers and so on and got to see behind the scenes as to what's going on. And having met a lot of the, I guess, um, bigger players in the industry, I got to like identify the different beliefs and what do you call it? Like you got the libertarians, you got the capitalists, you got the socialists, you got the anarchists, you got all these different groups that are kind of within the ecosystem and like subsets. And once I started to really dive down and understand who's who, and followed the money, I kind of went a really deep dive to understand the history of Bitcoin and when the technical changes occurred. Because I don't know what your audience is like in terms of they heard of Rothschilds, Rockefellers, the Collins family, the Federal Reserve, the central banks, and so on and so on. When you start to look at a really high level on who's who and you start to follow the money in which entities they invested into, you can start to see the political agendas behind the technology and why different things are unfolding. So when you look at BTC, which everyone thinks is Bitcoin, it got hijacked by a company called Blockstream back in early 2013, 2014, where they had over 55 million invested into them from HSBC, MasterCard, essentially the chairman of the Federal Reserve, and a company called Grayscale Investments, which is headed up by a guy by the name of Barry Silbert. So when you look at who's behind certain groups, that's a big factor as to why I chose to go down the path of Bitcoin SV being the original representation of Bitcoin and not BTC. So what does that mean for BTC and uh, for people that are pro yeah. that? Well, there's a number of things. Like if you look into what's going on from a, the regulator's perspective at the moment, there's a number of massive court uh, lawsuits that are unfolding in multiple jurisdictions around the world. The SEC have currently got a number of lawsuits with Tether and also Bitfinex and iFinex and a number of the other exchanges being Coinbase, Kraken and a few of the others. What this means for BTC, in 2017 when they made a number of the key changes to BTC, they introduced a thing called segregated witness and this is when Bitcoin Cash and BTC basically split when they introduced segregated witness into BTC, what that meant was they removed a key part of the digital signatures within the protocol, which essentially enables people to basically money launder. And that doesn't comply with the original protocol or any of the financial regulation globally. So for BTC, I think it's concerning long-term in my view. And I think we may see it correct and come a whole lot further down. 
because when we look at the market cap as a whole across the whole ecosystem, we're sitting up around a 800, 800 billion dollar valuation across the whole entire ecosystem. BTC makes up approximately five to six hundred billion of that. When you look at a lot of that, there, I'd say a very large portion of it's from Tether, which is just printed out of thin air, kind of like the Federal Reserve. But Tether, on their last audit, which isn't even an audit, only had two point three percent of that on balance, which is not good. And what's Tether? Tether's the the USDT. Yeah, Tether's the the synthetic, uh, meant to be one to one backed by the US dollar. For every one tether, they're meant to have one US dollar. However, they've never been audited. They've never disclosed, and they they quite frankly they can't get an audit. They've tried from every major accounting firm, and no one will touch them. And the, there's a number of huge lawsuits looking at them. They're like I consider tether the bubble of the crypto ecosystem. If we're to see a big collapse down, tether is going to be the key thing to trigger that because when tether gets shut down and i believe it will that is when you see the market cap of the whole ecosystem come a lot further down wow that's kind of concerning right because there's lots of people out there that teach you trading crypto to trade back into usdt yeah it is it is super concerning when i when i look at um like i've done this is like a whole different conversation like for to unpack this properly it's like yeah. an hour and a half chat but um a lot of people in the crypto ecosystem they're like supposed crypto experts and they claim that they're an expert in that field but when you look at majority of them they'll have their affiliate links and they have their different mm-hmm. things and they're uh, they're vested and their ego is attached to money and to set outcome which is going to hit them to hitting their financial goal and achieve time freedom they're not actually taking a full like stepping out of the i guess out of the point where they're at and viewing it from a well-rounded viewpoint yeah um, dude, one thing I want to talk about, you mentioned before, you know, talking about Rockefellers, talking about all this sort of stuff. I want you to school, like, let's talk about the history of money, the history of wealth. And there's a few like sort of principles I want to sort of dive in here, but based off your learnings, everything you know about the past and everything like that, where do you see the world is like, what's really happening in the world right now? And like, what kind of predictions? I know, like, I don't want to put you on the spot to like, <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot to like, yeah, say shit you're not allowed to, but what the fuck is really happening? Because there's lots of people that are in fear right now, recession this, recession that, and they're asking questions going, well, what do I do? Yeah, interesting question. Like I've read a lot of a lot of books over the years. And like when you, people hear the names, the Rothschild, Rockefellers, they're just like scratching the surface. When mm. you look at some of the 13 bloodlines, like the Astor family, the Collins family, and so on, you can start to dive down some pretty deep rabbit holes that go right through the Freemasons, the Templars, the Jesuits, and so on throughout the history of humanity. And this is a key part. It circles back into Bitcoin and why I believe in a universal source of truth. When you go back through time, there's parts of history that I don't believe that have been accurately accounted for and the masses have been fed propaganda and whatever they want to school everyone with. Like, yeah, have you heard of the um, the creature of Jekyll Island? No. So when you look at J.P. Morgan, Andrew Carnegie, and uh, a couple other guys, going back, this is only 100 years, this is in the last 100 years, when you look at the Federal Reserve and whatnot, the, the creature of Jekyll Island explains how the whole Federal Reserve came to be. 
when you look at this whole last hundred years and this industrial revolution where you've had rail, shipping and so on and all of the main um, universities, Harvard, Yale, you look at where all these things have been funded from in the same particular groups, you can start to see throughout time these different pockets of, uh, I guess, societies and whatnot have started to maintain and take control and hijack power essentially in the world. So currency and the ability to trade has obviously been around for thousands of years. Humans have always had to have that to barter. But when you look at fiat currencies in itself, the real big shift and change that I've noticed as of recent is like you go back to when um, JFK had the Green Memorial Agreement and the US dollar got depegged from the gold and bullion. Mm-hmm. I think it all ties into that. So what I'm looking at at the moment Trump tried to merge the U.S. Treasury with the Federal Reserve and go back to a gold standard. Putin's trying to do that at the moment, and everyone else is not. They're just kind of wanting to continually print, print, print. So I'm kind of, where do I think this is all going to go? This ties into crypto and the government, CBDCs. Everyone right now has been, like, I guess, brainwashed to an extent to go, crypto, digital identity is all good things. Everyone should just come over into this digital system and have their government CBDC where they're essentially this one world currency where they can essentially turn you off and on at a whim. They've already been trialing this stuff here in Australia over in Northern Territory with the indigenous over there with the um, Centrelink cards. They have the ability if you don't pay your taxes, you don't um, disclose whatever, all of a sudden or you're spending more than what you should all of a sudden they can go, you've got no more money and turn you on and off at an instant. Mm. So when you look at where this is heading, I believe in Bitcoin in its true form. But when you start to use some of this technology for ill purposes, it goes down a very, very slippery slope. Uh, as for what's going to happen and unfold, I don't know, but gold is a great asset to be hedged into. Um, fiat currencies, we're already seeing hyperinflation in heaps of different countries. Like Venezuela, you see what's happening over there. You see like the US dollar slowly collapsing. You look at energy prices. Like right now, the three areas you need to be watching is water, energy, and um, water, energy, and the three areas which you need to be kind of keeping an eye on. And they're slowly bleeding that from the general population. So what do you mean keeping an eye on it? Because that's the thing like with like our chat that we're in, right? You guys, you keep talking a lot about energy and stuff. So what? Dig into this a bit more. Like, why should we be watching it? And what specifically do you mean watching it? Have you seen the movie Thrive? No. You need to watch Thrive 1, which was from, I think, 2008, and Thrive 2, which is from, I think it got released 2019, I believe. Thrive, they basically did back in 2008 Hollywood predictions of, about the world, talking about energy and so on. And then um, th- the Thrive 2 one, which you have to go to their website and purchase, um, it basically talks right through what's happened from fast forward from 2008 to where we were at that point in time. And it's surprisingly very accurate. And why I say energy and energy is a big factor. When you look at the whole oil and fossil fuels and a very large proportion of what we use for our vehicles and transportation globally, when you look at that whole industry as a whole, there's been so many insane, incredible technologies over the years where you've had guys driving cars that are ran on water. You've had um, zero, wow. zero point uh, self-perpetual engines. You've had 
ionosphere harvesting generators where they can pull energy out of the ionosphere. And when you look at that and know that all these technologies exist, and then you look at the prices of energy around the world going up, where the average household can't afford to pay their power bill, you look at shops over in um, over in the like UK and whatnot at the moment. They're turning their power off in their businesses and only keeping one PowerPoint plugged on so they can have their till basically running while they've got all their lights off because they can't afford to pay power. And you look at that and you start to see people financially go bust because they can't afford to pay their mortgages. Interest rates have gone back up. They're already overextended. Price of food, inflation's gone up. They can't afford to put food on the table. Can't afford clean drinking water or energy. These are all things that are massive factors and why I look at the energy as well and just what's going on and what other alternatives can I access. Hmm. So you're saying, so because the increase in all this, like these are all the things that are going to contribute to a crash, is that you're saying? Yeah, they're right? all major factors for sure. So what can, like, what can people do about it to prepare or even take advantage of, because that's also what happens when there's moments of massive fear and stuff like that, there's, that's the biggest times to really get ahead, right? Yeah, the, the biggest opportunity I see and like how to obviously get ahead is everyone's, this all ties back to money in one regard. Like it's uh, it's energy. It makes the world go round. Having that, I guess, sense of financial freedom is a big part enabling you to be able to ensure that you can, like whether you need to bunker out and go somewhere or do something, you can make that happen relatively quickly. But obviously focusing your energy on what you can immediately impact one thing is obviously having tight-knit friends, family around you where you can obviously connect with where you know you can get fresh food from and water and whilst at the same time building enough resource behind you, whether that's in your business, whatever your vertical is, having multiple income streams so you're not dependent on one, having a diversified portfolio of assets so if shit does hit the fan and say if US dollars, Australian dollars or one sector or whatever financial instrument you could be invested in goes bust. You might have a heap of shares in Vanguard or something and that particular portfolio crashes. Just ensuring that you've got enough liquidity and like access to cash for when markets do continue to crash down to be able to step in and basically obtain equity or shares or whatever in these industries that we do see that are going to boom and yeah. Get liquid, essentially. (laughs) Let's talk about, you know, for the average person sort of watching this, listening to this, is, you know, they're on the hustle. They've got big dreams. They want to create these sorts of things. And for a lot of them, they've got the question going, which direction do I head in? And then how do I, like, make that leap? How do I make it happen? So talk us back what, like, you've come from being a farmer. (laughs) You're you're a tradie. You've gone to do the most wild shit now. You've got a really cool life. And you're young. How old are you? 31. 31, right? And you've been doing this for a while. Yeah, for the last five, six years now, proper. Yeah. How did you, kind of, yeah, you kind of bridge this? Like, that's that's the big thing that people think about, right? Because it's all great to think about and talk about all these sorts of things. Yeah. And then for the people that are sitting there, they're like, well, fuck. Yeah, what do I, what the fuck I just need to make a bit more money right now or I want to be able to quit my job or. Yeah, yeah. I think um, when I look back throughout my own journey, going from being an electrician by trade to transitioning into finance, there's a couple of key books and learnings throughout like my personal development, uh, I guess, and journey and whatnot was um, the Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Mm-hmm. His other book though, The Cash Flow Quadrant, that key book there, like that and the Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek, those two books and the underlying principles and philosophies that they teach you 
it doesn't matter what the fuck you want to do in life, whatever your specialist, your hobby is, whatever, if you can really understand that that cash flow quadrant where 95% of the population sits on the left side of the quadrant being either employees or small to medium business owners, which are always going to be time poor, then you move over to the right side of the quadrant where you've only got 5% of the population but 95% of the wealth. When you look at that and go, okay, I'm currently in the employee or small to medium business quadrant, that's completely fine. But when it comes to you managing your finances on a week-to-week basis, say, for instance, you've got a, a cash buffer where you want to, you feel comfortable with 20 grand in your account. Most people will go, they'll be earning money every week and after all their bills and expenses, say they got an extra 250 bucks in the hand or whatever, they'll just keep chipping that up and building up and compounding that up on that 20,000. That's typically what they do. What I got into the habit of doing like early on in the piece was once I was over that threshold, I just started investing. So every mm. bit of money I got coming in that was extra in cash flow, I'd just reinvest that because eventually you get to a point in time where your assets start to compound up and they're yielding you a much bigger return than what you're exchanging for your time and energy. And then all of a sudden, your job and whatever the hell you're doing to generate income is irrelevant. And that's when you can really start to step into your power and what you're passionate about and focus on what it is that you want to do in the world. So that cash flow quadrant, if you can really drum down on that basic principle, you're consistently going to be positioning yourself from the left side of the quadrant to the right into that investor category. And when you look at it, he's the only one in that whole quadrant that ever achieves time freedom. And you look at like that there in in its essence, when you keep asking the same question over and over, what is it you truly want? What is it you truly want? We want the same thing, to do whatever the fuck, whenever the fuck, wherever the fuck. Yeah. Okay, so talking about investments, okay, you obviously, you've invested heaps in multiple different places. What's been some of your worst investments? A great uh, story of mine, which is uh, one of the biggest learnings for me personally, and I share this with everyone that I come across. Back when I was first transitioning out of being a Sparky into finance, we were approached by a group and uh, to set up one of Australia's first retail hedge funds. And um, our group, basically, I put together a, a um, private sitting with a whole behind net worths in Ely Beach. And we basically, in that day, raised a million AUD and put that into an investment. That didn't eventuate and we ended up pulling our funds back out of that and this other opportunity came up and we put down a million euro between seven of us and basically kicked off this investment. It was a company called MDX, Multidigital Exchange, where we were building out a security token exchange for the Maltese government. And um, essentially, as soon as we put that million down, we had to go out and try and raise 100 million euro. And that was tasked to me originally. And I was like, sure thing. I don't know who has that much money or how I'm going to do it, but I'll have a crack at it. And um, next thing you know, I'm out connecting with other investors and basically established a relationship with a group out of Borneo, Malaysia. And um, we ended up getting a term sheet for 100 million euro. And um, that eventually didn't go ahead. It was three weeks before they were meant to do the initial transaction of 30 million euro. And um, crypto market, late 2018, start of 19, started to tank and go down. They had some issues going on with the regulators over in Malta. They had Binance, Hubibi, and a couple of other exchanges lobbying the government, and a number of things. But essentially, that particular startup was already in the scale-up phase, and they had burnt through a large portion of our capital. So over the next, I think it was six to eight months post that not going ahead, 
that investor got cold feet. We went out to try and continue to raise capital in a downwards market where no one knew what the hell was going to go on from a regulatory standpoint. Mm -hmm. And this group basically burnt through seven mates and I's million euro and we lost that investment never to yeah recover that. So that there was a major, I guess, learning for me very early on the piece about due diligence, about making sure that these have an unfair advantage and all the contracts buttoned up and just making sure that it's a sound investment and really getting clear on the investment criteria and everything that you would expect before you put capital in. So that there was a massive learning, but at the same time, yeah, it's one of those things you'll live and learn. When you've got skin in the game, you learn quickly. That's wild. How, how, how did you handle that? Like I imagine if... Oh, I was, I was feel like a piece of shit. But like, um, yeah. But more importantly, what did you do after? Had to get back and hustle. Really. Yeah. I felt like I felt horrible. I had mates of mine that were in there with me and some of them, there was a very large portion of what capital they had at that t- point in time and we all took such a big hit and um, it was just like, fuck, like what's next? How can we make all our money back? And not getting down in the dark about it and just going, right, I have to go out and make more money and get back into it. Basically lit a fire within and just got straight back in the trenches and just, yeah. And damn. So what's been some of your best investments you made then? At the moment, this mining venture that we're on at the moment, it's probably the one I'm most excited about and where I've put a good portion of energy this year into. We've got a green Bitcoin mining entity we invested in late last year. And um, it's gone from a $5 million pre-money valuation to it's going to list on the NASDAQ in the start of Q1 next year. And it'll be in excess of a $200 million valuation. But it's, it's geared up to be the largest 100% green Bitcoin miner on the planet, covering Australia, Norway, and then soon to be the US as well. Freaking wild. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It's wild. <laughs> so when we talk about investing, okay, because this is actually a belief I used to have. And if, I, if I've had it, probably other people have had too. The belief is you need to have a lot of money in order to start investing. Right? Like I didn't invest in anything literally until COVID. Like I had a couple of things here and there, but I never took it seriously because I was always just like, I'm just keep working on my, you know, my cash flow and my business and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then when I saw everything tank, for the pandemic, it woke me up to start learning. Why is everything going down? Blah, blah, blah. And I was so pissed because I lost a lot of money because I put it in stupid places. I lost so much money where I was like, I was like, fuck, I don't even have enough really that I'd safely invest anywhere when I don't know anything about it yet. So let's talk about that. Like if, like for people just starting out investing, what is, how much do you need to start investing? Where should they start? Yeah, well, no, I used to have that same belief. Like, I, I, I at that loss, where we lost that million euro, that triggered something for me where you don't need money to make money. Because I always mm. had this, I was running on this, um, like, unconscious program where I believed you needed money to make money and only the rich could get richer. And that was something I was always just busting my ass trying to get as more dollars in my account so I could always leverage them. When you start to look at that whole cash flow quadrant, I looked at that cash flow quadrant and went through all the different financial instruments that we have access to. So I went through and looked at property. I looked at mutual funds, index funds, ETFs, shares, property syndicates, private equity, and so on. And I went through each of these different instruments and got a bit of a gauge for what they yield, what's the average return for each of these things. And for the average investor, some the best and most simplest strategy, just sticking to that cash flow quadrant, 
is just dollar cost averaging where you're managing your own money to begin with, where it's just going, if you've got an extra $250, whether you're putting it into something like, I think there's a, um, a spaceship where it's a, an index of the top 100 tech companies in the world. That's just one. Then you've got like, obviously you go into the NASDAQ and on the ASX and things, you've got like portfolios like Vanguard and different ones like that. They're great places to start mm-hmm. when you've got no idea because you've got professionals managing it. What I would also say is, Go find yourself a great financial planner. Go meet four, five, six of them and just say, hey, how you going? Introduce yourself. This is how much money I've got to work with. How much have you been yielding return across your clientele for the last one, two, three years? And see what they've been returning. You mm. might find a good one that's doing 20, 25, 30% per annum. So that's good. And that's a good return from a financial planner if they're yeah, consistent. But... um. Yeah, financial planner, getting that initial support and just, yeah, working with professionals is a great way to start and just, yeah, get exposure to different assets. But in saying that as well, I just want to kind of highlight as well, you don't need money to make money. Like uh, me personally, I've like found out my my, superpower is connecting dots and finding ways to add value to people. And when you look at that and how to position yourself in that quadrant, every engagement that you engage with with someone else there's an exchange of value and a lot of people have blockages around receiving that value they're all about yep i'm happy just to give 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 which everyone's really comfortable with but when it starts to come back the other way a perfect example of that is just tuning into that little feeling you get you go for a lunch with a group of mates and someone goes oh no i'll get it and they shout and you're like, oh no I'll, I'll, I'll do it instead of just being grateful and going yeah. thanks man fucking cheers that little feeling there when you can start to really open up and receive and monetary value is a big part around receivings. That when you can really start to capitalize on adding value to other people and connections and whatnot. So for me, when it comes to like business ventures and people want to leverage my network and whatnot, all of a sudden, if I'm going to bring you X, which is going to make your business generate mm-hmm. more, I try to like position myself in ways where I can capitalize on the revenue that I generate for said businesses. Yes. I love it. Um, <laughs> dude, this interview has been wild. I, I, I think we, we can do a part two one day. We, we dive a little bit deeper in for these guys. Um, where can everybody find you on socials and everything? Yeah, I'm definitely keen for a part two on socials. I'm not really on socials, but um, the best really way to find me is on LinkedIn, Rowan Hill, or my Instagram, which I don't even know. I think it's Rowan underscore underscore Hill, H-I-L-L. Be careful. I'll never teach. I'll talk to you about financial products or pitch on there. There's a few fake profiles on Insta and whatnot, so just be careful. Um, yeah, but yeah. Let's just say that actually for a second, because like I swear, there's people out there still fucking get scammed. It blows my mind. Like, like there's people like like your account, my account's been done a bit, but as soon as you start creating any sort of success and you talk about money, there's always fake people that go around scan like copy all your shit. But it's the same pitch conversation all the time. They're always like, um. Oh, I want to invite you to my private chat. The fuck? You're in the same chat. It's the exact same fucking chat, right? And and then it's like, I want to... Uh, they say stupid shit like, I want to sensitize my followers about crypto and blah, blah, biggest, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, the biggest one they get for my followers and anyone out there, it's obviously to do with crypto. They'll say, hey, hey, your investment's been going. And they'll say, hey, check out this this um, trading scheme or pro- thing. It'll be It's a hands-down Ponzi. Mm. I'll try to get you to invest money or crypto into said thing and it's just gone. So just don't put any capital in any of these things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nine times out of 10, even 10 out of 10, they're just 
bullshit. Yeah, like it's 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 interesting. So people people are getting smarter and smarter these days with scamming through socials. So we all need to get smarter and smarter with detecting stuff. Like I personally wouldn't even if you DM me like, Hey, let's do a big deal, I'd talk to you on the phone (laughs) before. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like like yeah, if I can call me. Like if you're like, Oh, you should invest, you know, fifty grand here, I'm like I actually had I was give him a quick call and ask him about it. I actually had a friend, like we've been mates for over ten years and he got like one of these Ponzi things, they're like messaging him. And he thought it was me, and he's like going back and forth for days. Mental, eh? At days, and they eventually like convinced him to get on. And he was literally at the final straw. He's about to transfer twenty grand, and then he decided, "Oh, I've got to call Rowan." Calls me up, and he's like, "Hey, dude, are you sure you want me to transfer that money?" And I'm like, "The fuck are you even on about? I do not oh. transfer anything." And he was like, "So close to like, yeah." It's wild. Like I've it's I've nuts. seen I've seen it happen a lot. So yeah, just on that note, yeah, be careful. I for one as well, like. I will never in a million years uh, sell you Bitcoin. I <laughs> you to fucking buy Bitcoin. Join my shit. All my information I put out is through this podcast or in our Facebook group, which, by the way, go ahead and fucking join it. Um, you know, and or, or face-to-face. So, yeah. Rowan, a final question for you. Hit me. If you were to go back to your 18-year-old self and give him 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? Back to my 18-year-old self. It's straight up. That cash flow quadrant, start earlier, Hurry the fuck up, hustle, grind, get as many income streams as you can and just keep pushing through. Like I started young, but in saying that, I didn't really take it seriously till I was 25, 26. And that was when I started to step up that next level. But if I was to go back to my 18-year-old self, it's just have fun, party hard and yeah, just get diligent with your finances and get it sorted earlier. Thank you so much for listening. And if you got value from this episode, it goes such a long way. If you can just take 20 seconds of your time, leave me a five-star rating and written review, then screenshot this episode and share it to your story and make sure you tag me for that shout out. And until next time, guys, go out there and dream out loud.